If you would, take out your Bibles and turn with me to Acts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. We're going to spend the next four weeks uh, looking at uh, just a few verses in Acts chapter um, 2, which I believe will help us grow in our understanding and appreciation of the church. As we um, go to God's word, let's go to him once again in prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we, your people gathered here, Father, we ask that you would speak to us, Father. Speak to us through your word. Father, we are a people who need revelation from the outside and we need transformation on the inside. Father, speak till your church is built and the earth is filled with your glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. What in the world is the church? That's pretty deliberate, too. Those of you who know, I like prepositions. What in the world is the church? Not what of the world is the church. What in the world is the church? Now, you ask anybody out on the street, what is the church? My guess is they may say something like this. Oh, it's a place, a place you go to for weddings, for funerals, maybe other special times. I got invited to church. But those that may be more familiar with the scriptures, they may say, hey, wait, the church, it's, it's described as the body of Christ. It's described as the bride of Christ. It's described as a a spiritual house of which Christians are living stones. I think the church is also described as a community. Now, if you do your uh, searches of the Bible, you won't find the word community very often. In fact, I was just looking at the New International Version. You find community once in the New Testament, the word community. Oftentimes, it's more translated people. But community, well, just like the Trinity is not a word in the scriptures, yet the concept is everywhere, so also community is not so much a word that we will see in the scriptures that talk about the church, but most certainly it's a true concept. And community combines the place and the people. Acts. Acts is a bridge between the four Gospels and the rest of the New Testament, the letters of the New Testament. Acts is a selective record of all that Jesus continued to do and teach. Flip back with me to Acts 1.1. Luke, the author of the Gospel according to Luke and Acts, says this. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. This is the acts that Jesus continues to do and teach now by the Holy Spirit. Well, what is the best title of this book? Some say the Acts of the Apostles. You know, but that kind of lends a little bit of favor to to the to the men's side. Well, then somebody says, hey, no, it's the acts of the Holy Spirit. Well, then there's the leaning toward the divine side. How about this? 
the acts of the exalted Christ by the Holy Spirit in the church founded by him through the apostles. Did you catch that? One more time. The acts of the exalted Christ by the Holy Spirit in the church founded by him through the apostles. Luke and Acts is one book, two volumes. There's the incarnation of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection. And then moving into Acts, you see the ascension and the sending of the Spirit at Pentecost. Pentecost being that second annual harvest festival, 50 days after the Passover. If you look at chapter 2 of Acts, you'll see the event of Pentecost described in uh, uh, verses 1 through 13. The explanation of what is going on in verses 14 through 36 when Peter preaches this amazing sermon. And then the effect of that sermon we see in verses 37 through 41. Well, what was the effect of Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost? What was the effect of gospel proclamation? Well, when the word of God and the spirit of God are at work as they were that day, they produce a conviction of sin and a confession of faith. And in so doing, they work together to build a congregation of believers. In other words, the word and the spirit work together to build the church. They gather and grow believers. Well, let's begin by saying a few words about what the church is. Well, was the church born at Pentecost? Is it the birthday of the church? Well, yes and no. It's not because the church is the people of God goes all the way back to at least Abraham, if not before. And yes, it is in one sense the birthday of the church because what happens at Pentecost is that God's people become the spirit-filled body of Christ. It is the new creation of a new family defined not by natural but rather by supernatural birth. Not physically but spiritually. In other words, the people of God are related not by genetics but rather by relation and allegiance to Jesus. And as we will see in verses 42 through 47 over the next few weeks, this text is a summary account of the activities and attitudes of the Jerusalem church that was established on the day of Pentecost. And in Acts, we will see high drama and we will see daily life. And here in verses 42 through 47 is a description of the daily community life of the church. First and foremost, it's a description of the church's life when the work of the Spirit is evident. Join with me now as I read verses 42 through 47. Actually, I'm going to start with verse 36, the end of Peter's sermon. Listen how this sermon ends, by the way. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, 
Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple, together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Well, what do we see here? Well, in verse 42, we see four activities, teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Indeed, what the church does is a direct result of what the church is. These verses, 42 through 47, provide a fourfold description of the church as a learning, loving, worshiping, and witnessing community. And so today, we're going to take a look at the first evidence Luke mentions of the Spirit's presence in the church, devotion to the apostles' teaching. A community, in other words, that looks like a school. And in order for there to be a school, what is needed? I think three things. Okay, children, you're going to have to help me out. What do we need in a school? We need students. Right, we need students. Well, if we've got students, what else do we need? Teachers. Teachers. And if you've got students and you've got teachers, what else do we need? A textbook, maybe, right? Lessons, material, doctrine, a curriculum. And we will see all three in our text. The church as a learning community is made up of students. Well, who are the students? Who are they? Well, they're those who had received his word. Look at verse 41. So those who received his word, who believed his word. In other words, those who repented and believed. 3,000 converts who once demanded Jesus' death are now demanding, as it were, something else. They're going from crucified Jesus to, oh, we want to hear Jesus speak to us. What a change. What a transition. There's the activity and the attitude. And the emphasis we will see is on the attitude. Well, what's their attitude when it comes to learning? Now, for many of you out here, this is the start of school. And some people are eager to get back to school. Some people drag their feet to get back to school. Well, whether it's homeschool, private school, public school, what is the attitude of the students? Here we see this. 
verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Continuously devoted themselves. It's attachment like glue. Turn back with me to chapter 1, verse 14. Chapter 1, verse 14. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. There, the apostles were, and the 120 were devoted to prayer. And here we see a devotion to learning. Notice this idea of devoted. Devoted, it's persevering, not giving up. Anybody can be devoted for a short time, but this gives the impression it's going to be for the long haul. They are dedicated to that which is essential, to that which they consider indispensable. They recognize that the truth had saved them, and now they recognize that that truth will sustain them. They wanted to know their Lord and Savior, as Peter's sermon spoke about. Here, let's just acknowledge that a ministry of learning, theological depth, is the first vital sign of the church right from the start. First, the mind is engaged, the intellect. After all, the Holy Spirit is what? The Holy Spirit of truth. Being filled with the Spirit, Peter and the other uh, apostles are going to say, is not set over against the, the uh, mind, the intellect. Jesus in John 8 verse 31 says, Abide, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples. Abiding in my word, knowing my word, meditating on my word, trusting in my word, thinking about my word. Now, women, what's the route to a man's heart? How does it go? It's through what? His stomach, right? The route to a man's heart is through his stomach, they say. Well, for a Christian, Luke is saying in this description, the route to the heart and hands is through the head, through the mind. It starts with the mind, but it doesn't end there. How does Paul say it in Romans 12? Be transformed by the acquisition of new skills, right? Be transformed by... Um, uh, uh, whipping up emotions, right? No, be transformed. How? By the renewal of your mind. It doesn't end there, but it most certainly starts there. Because last time I checked, it's this part of the body that controls this part of the body and this part of the body, right? It starts in the head. It starts in the mind. Now, in order for students to be learning, what has to happen? Somebody's got to be teaching. Well, who are the teachers? Well, the church as a learning community of students is instructed by teachers. Well, who are they? They are the apostles, of course, the witnesses to Jesus' life, His ministry, and particularly His resurrection. And if you remember in chapter 1 of Acts, they spend quite a bit of time coming up with the replacement to Judas. It's important who these apostles are. They're going to be the authoritative representatives of Jesus. They are the witnesses. They are the ambassadors. They are going to witness um, to the world outside and they're going to teach the church 
family on the inside. And notice in verse 43, it says, And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. In other words, these are the teachers. They're the authoritative teachers because of the signs and the wonders. The ability to teach. Teaching is so important in the life of the church that when Paul gives a list of qualifications for elders, both in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, the elders, remember, are the ones who lead the church by serving, serving as shepherds who care for the sheep, who feed the sheep, who lead the sheep, who protect the sheep, who know the sheep. How what, are, what, is, what does he say in those two passages? Well, he talks about being hospitable, being a, a husband of one wife, uh, all of these character qualities, but only one skill, one ability, and that is the ability to teach, the ability to maintain sound doctrine. Everything else is a character quality. The one skill is the ability to teach, the gift to teach. Ten times in Acts 2 through 5, the apostles we see teaching. But here in chapter 2, verse 42, the emphasis is not on the teachers, but rather the students. The student's responsibility to learn. The teacher is to instruct, and the student is to what? To learn. The Holy Spirit has to be at work in both speaker and listener. Now think with me about... You know, I had to use the meal analogy a moment ago, right? Think with me about a meal. Somebody cooks the meal, right? What else has to happen? At the dinner table. Somebody's got to eat, right? Doesn't do any good for the food to just sit there. There's a responsibility to eat, as it were, what's provided. And it's the teaching, as we will see, that's provided. The apostles taught. Well, what did they teach? What is their curriculum? What lesson, content, and doctrine are they presenting? Well, the church as a learning community is taught using a common core curriculum. Now, those of you in Kentucky may go, oh, great, common core. Now, whether you're for it or against it, know what I'm talking about or not, common core, you've heard probably in the news. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the common core curriculum of Jesus and the gospel. In a word, what's the curriculum? It's Jesus and his gospel. Who he is and what he came to do and what he did. And as seen by Peter's sermon, the teaching of the apostles focused on Jesus as the fulfillment of God's promise to redeem and to renew his people. Peter's first sermon was a gospel sermon. I hope you've been able to read through it, but what you'll see there is the gospel events, the death and resurrection of Jesus, the gospel witnesses, the Old Testament prophets and the apostles, the historical witness, the promises of forgiveness and the giving of the Holy Spirit, and the demands, repentance and faith. Well, in particular, the apostles are teaching what Jesus had taught them before his death and also after his resurrection. Who he is and what he came to do. They're thinking about Jesus saying that he came to call sinners. 
He came to call people to repent. He came to call people to believe. Jesus said, come to me. Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Make disciples how? Teaching them to obey all that Jesus taught, right? Teaching. What Jesus commands and demands. Rightly, we emphasize here the indicative. What God has done. But you can't end there. You have to continue on with the imperative. What therefore God calls His people to do in light of what He has done. They're teaching what Jesus had taught them. And Jesus spoke both statements and commands. Now think with me. Here we are looking at teaching right off the bat. That's the first thing that's emphasized. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Um, Some of you are familiar with the book On Being Presbyterian. Well, the author lays out that before you can get to Presbyterian practices, you got to get to Presbyterian beliefs because beliefs are what determine practice. There's a certain order. The order is doctrine first, then life. The priority. Doctrine comes before life, before ministry. Jesus says, sanctify them by the truth in His prayer before His Father. Your word is truth. And that's what the disciples are doing as they minister the word to God's people. Now, what's the purpose of doctrine? It's so that they will grow. They're new Christians, so they will grow. Peter writes, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. The pure spiritual milk. What is it? It's God's Word. And a summary, as we will see in a moment, is the Apostles' Creed. Now, what are we to make of this fact that the church was a learning community? Is it just nice to know information about the history of the church so that you can pass some kind of church history exam? Or is it crucial to our life as a church today? Before we ask those questions, let me go back to just the first verse that we've been looking at. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What are you devoted to right now? Work? Hobby? What are you stuck like glue to? What what are your hands tightly holding on to? What occupies your time? What occupies your thoughts? What are you devoted to? Ask somebody that question about your life. Ask them, hey, what do you think I'm devoted to? Well, is this crucial to the life of the church? Absolutely. And we're going to answer that question by asking a few other related questions as we conclude. Why is learning first in this description of the life of the Christian church. Why? It's because Christianity is a revealed faith. 
We have to be taught. We don't have to be taught to sin, do we? We heard it in Psalm 51, Surely I was sinful at birth. Those of you that are parents, I guarantee you did not tell, teach your children, now this is how you lie. This is how you um, rebel. This is how you um, pick the sin. No, it comes naturally to you and me. We don't have to be taught. We're self-taught. It comes from our own hearts. All we have to do is listen to our own hearts. It's there. But Christianity is a revealed faith. What do we know about Christianity that we haven't been taught? And you know what? When we recognize the need to be taught, we express humility and dependence. And didn't you hear that in Psalm 25? David the king, David the mighty warrior saying, Lord, teach me. Teach me. We have to be taught about fellowship, about worship, about witness. Theology, to be applied, has to be first taught. And that's why our confession of faith, the first chapter, is not of God. It's not even of Jesus Christ. It's not of the church. It's of the Holy Scriptures. Why? Because we have to be taught about who God is, who Jesus is, what sin is, what Jesus has done, what the church is, what the sacraments are, what the communion of saints is. We have to be taught. That is how we know God. Well, how do we today devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching? What does it mean? Where do we find the apostles' teaching today? It's right here. It's right here. This is the apostles' teaching, the Bible. We listen to the Bible, we read the Bible, we study the Bible, we memorize and meditate on the Word. Its importance is both in the public worship, but also in the private family worship. Studying the Bible in community, public worship, and then in small groups as families and individually. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Christians are called to be devoted to God's word. It's life. It's life, as the psalmist would indicate in Psalm 119. And here we see that this devotion is both an activity and a heart attitude. There is humility, there is dependence, and there is need. You know, in, a, in the coming months, we're going to um, ordain and we're going to elect and ordain the first set of ruling elders here. And one of the great marks of a ruling elder is humility. For someone like me to say, I have not arrived, but I'm open to instruction. I want to grow. I want to learn. The elders here at the church, yes, they're going to be men who are gifted with loving God, loving his people, loving his word, but they're also going to be men who are open to instruction because brothers and sisters, from now until we see face to face, we see dimly and we're going to need to be open to instruction. So why is learning first in this description? Well, it's because Christianity is a revealed faith. And how do we devote ourselves today to the apostles' teaching? We're devoted to God's word. So finally, here's the question. Are you a student? Are you learning? 
Are you devoted, as it were, to being a student of God's word? Christians display openness to being fed by the word. It's key evidence that someone truly is in Christ. Because Peter goes on to say, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is indeed good. Those who taste and know that the Lord is good, boy, they have a hungering for that pure spiritual milk. A hungering for His Word. A few years ago, actually many years ago now, I was young, uh, just gotten off active duty in the Navy, and I was with a discipleship and evangelism ministry called the Navigators, and and um, my spiritual mentor, the head of our team, was, was uh, teaching me in particular how to go and share Christ in the barracks at the Naval Air Station in Norfolk. And I remember so excited about week three of going and knocking on doors and seeing if people wanted to talk about the Bible, about Jesus, what it means to be a Christian. One, one young man said, yes. I'm like, you do? Really? And so we spent the next hour looking at God's word, talking about sin and repentance and faith and Jesus and heaven and hell and all this and he prayed to receive Christ and man I was excited you know three weeks in I had somehow made a difference the next week I went back knocked on that same airman's um, dorm room and I barracks room and and I said hey uh, you ready to study the bible no are you sure yeah I don't want to okay the next week stop by again hey you you want to start to pray together you want to read God's word? Uh, no. No. Uh, hey, do, do you still have the Bible I, we gave you? Uh, I don't know where it is. Well, my spiritual mentor, my wise friend, Wayne, said, Lee, there's nothing harder than following up a non-believer. Oh, true. But what joy is there to follow up a believer who has a hunger for God's word, who wants to know the Lord as he's revealed himself through his word. We just sang, speak, O Lord. Remember verse 2? Teach us, Lord, full obedience. When you sang that, were you singing the truth? Or were you singing maybe... Teach us, Lord, a little bit of obedience. Uh, Teach us, Lord. Is that your prayer? Speak, O Lord. Is that your prayer? Is that my prayer? Is that this church's prayer? Well, what in the world is the church? It's people learning about and growing up. Wisdom is knowing what to do first. Knowing how to put things in order First things first. There's a devotion to the teaching of the apostles. There's a devotion to God's word. May God give all of us individually and as a church a growing devotion to God's word and a desire to learn through scripture what we are to believe about God and what duty God requires of his people. The church as a learning community brings much glory to God and it does much good for His people. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, these are good words, but these are hard words. Because we come face to face 
And we have to ask ourselves the question, are we devoted to your word? Oh, Father, would you stir up in us a desire to know your word? Because in knowing your word, we know you. And Father, we thank you that the word indeed became flesh and lived among us. We thank you for Jesus, Father, who we can know you only through Jesus. Oh, Father, give us a growing hunger for your word. Help us to grow up. Help us to mature in the faith, but never, never be beyond the thought that there is more to learn and more to grow and more to be changed in our lives. Father, have mercy upon us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.